welcome to Rocket with Chief. My name is Daniel Robus and I'll be your host today. I am super excited to have a friend and hero in, in our studio, Arnold Geertz. Many of us know Mr. Geertz or as Arnie, whether it's on TV, at events, as an MC, or at races, as a leader or a fellow competitor. Today, we're going to take a run down memory lane and look to the future with this awesome individual. Good afternoon, Arnie. How are you? Hi, Dan. I'm fantastic. And even the better for speaking to you after months of trying to get this together with your schedule and my schedule and load shedding thrown in for good measure. So the only thing that didn't have an effect was the water restrictions, I think. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> You're, yeah. right. You're right. Arnie, uh, I'm, I made the mistake of, of trying to piece your CV together, and it speaks of a long active career with interesting angles, strange changes that you've taken. But this, this kind of central theme is someone who's got empathy for the world who likes to run. As a storyteller, <laughs> corporate coach, you know, you do a lot, but it's all from the heart. Why is the heart so important for you? Sure. Uh, Dan, that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever had anyone ask it to me that way. I think what happens is that you are born a certain personality. And I, I teach these personalities as a matter of, of course, in some of the, the facilitating that I do. And I've got this in, in my model. It's four birds. Okay. So if you can imagine there's this quadrant, top left, there's an eagle, bottom left, it's owl, top right, peacock, bottom right, dove. The left-hand side of the quadrant are high detail people. The left-hand, the right-hand side are the the people who really don't care much about detail. I fall in that category. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, it's all over the show. But there is a far more measured approach to empathy. And then I guess you could say almost stroke sympathy on the right-hand side of that quadrant. Now, we all bleed in a little bit into the other birds, if you like. But I am almost completely squarely in the peacock area. And I think by definition, a peacock, puts up its feathers and goes, oh, look at me. Look at how beautiful I am. And you've got to listen to me. And I know everything. Mm. And I love the sound of my own voice. And I guess that's part of the deal as well. But I do think it connects to the empathy that one has for people in general. So you like to tell stories, but you also like to listen to stories. Um, and that comes through whenever we go for a run or, or I see people that you've interacted with. You almost take a back step. Are you thrust into the public light or do you like the light? No, I, I think I like it. Um, okay. No, let me, no, no, let me not lie. I love it. Okay. Oh, brilliant. I, I think that that's a very interesting thing as well. As I've grown older, I mean, I just hit 60 the other day, which is hard for me to believe, but it is, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's true. I know it's, it's ridiculous. But the frightening thing about that is as I look back, I realized that maybe as a kid, I at some points felt like I wasn't being heard and that you have the, the psychologists will tell you, you have critical parents or you have empathetic parents. And I think I, mine probably fell into the first category. I also grew up in an era where children were heard and not seen. Mm. And my dad used to, when I used to sit in, in grown up conversation, my old man used to say, listen, skip the commercial, go play. And that was, that was what it was like. And I think, my my want to become a 
a public figure is probably born out of that to a certain degree. And then recognition. Uh, they, there's very few things as nice for me as when I go by someone and they go, I love the broadcast you did yesterday. Or, wow, that was an interesting thought you had. Or what it, it's that. I think there's a, there's a great part of that there. Brilliant. Yeah, you you said sixty, which um, I still can't believe. And you've spoken about this this career, but one of your aims is to be one of the only people to run a sub three marathon in five decades. Is that correct? Is it six five decades? So here's here's how it works. It's actually not connected to years as such. It's the seventies, the eighties, the nineties the 2000s, the noughties, and the 2020s now. So I missed the 2010s. I tried five times and, and failed miserably. But to give you an idea, oh, I ran my first sub three at the age of 17 and a few days in 1979. So that's 43 years ago this year. Oh, you know, my word. I, I think <laughs> we've just got to pause there. I mean, how do we equate doing a sub three marathon for people who don't run? How do they understand what a massive achievement that is? So uh, I'll try and put it in context for you. Uh, if you go out and you run one kilometer in four minutes and 14 seconds, that's give or take. And most people with great respect can't do that. Yeah. Okay. With great love and respect. Uh, you have to put together. 42 of those to run a sub three hour marathon. And to be honest with you, at the age of 17, I mean, I was bulletproof. I ran the sub three. It was my third marathon. And uh, I ran it feeling like, wow, guess I could have had another 10 minutes in the tank there. And it was like that. I was really blessed with, I honestly don't believe that I have a great amount of talent. I think I have a lot of fussback. Um, oh, and that's my where it came word. from. <laughs> no, Arnie, that is so massive. For you who are not runners, for our audience who aren't runners, we're, we're in the presence of someone that has done something utterly remarkable. And I'm going to wish you luck. I know the JP runners are going to be watching that one. You're going to be uh, training a little bit hard when it's coming in there for the <laughs> old duck to be doing that. Now, we, we're going to dive back into some of your running highlights. I'm going to be asking you a little bit about where's, where your best and your worst. But First of all, let's talk how you pay for the house and a beautiful family and, and how you keep things going. You've been in the gig economy for years. Before it was cool, you were doing, you were doing the gig economy. Do you ever think that it's time for a full-time job? Do you ever want to get in there and become an accountant or a, a, a branch manager? What keeps you going? Can you imagine a peacock as a branch manager or a, a bookkeeper? I would be a dismal failure. I think I would last. <laughs> I, I was going to say three weeks at first. I, give me three days. It'll last three. No, Dan, I wasn't. Uh, God didn't put me on the earth to to be a full time employee of anyone's um, part time because I think that you know again the peacock doesn't have a great span of attention. You know, it's all over the show. So yeah, I had I started. Uh, with the newspapers in, uh, I was still at Varsity at RAU then in 1982. And I got a job with the Brackpan Herald. That was a full-time job. Then uh, in my hometown, funny enough, a newspaper that I delivered as a kid. I was 14 years old when I delivered the Springs Advertiser. And eventually, six odd years later, I was working for the Springs Advertiser as a reporter and a sports reporter. And then a year later, saw this ad in the Sunday Times for a, a news writer, a news copywriter at the SRE car. 
And I wrote them and I sent them a CV. I got three weeks later, got a letter back. You know, in those days, we didn't have email or anything. So you sent a letter and then you waited three weeks or two weeks and you got a letter back. And they said, yeah, you can come for an interview. And I went for an interview, I guess, in November of 83. Wow. And three weeks later, they sent me a letter going, you got the job. To be honest with you, I couldn't spell my own name properly. Never mind write news bulletins. And there I was on the 2nd of January, 1984, and did an induction course. And five, six days later, I'm writing sport, uh, stories and sports stories for Springbok Radio, Radio 5 and Radio Haifa. I promise you, my pants were shaking. Never mind my legs. It was scary. And that's how it started. So I, I, from then, I worked for the SABC for about a year and a half. And I heard that the SA Runner magazine was up for sale. And I thought... That's too good to be true. So I bought the SA Runner magazine with money that I borrowed from Adidas. <laughs> How's this? Wow. Money that I borrowed from Adidas on the handshake that I would give them 12 months of the back page of the magazine as advertising in lieu of the, the 10,000 rand they gave me. Uh, well, it wasn't money that I had. Uh, and yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I wangled it and I, a lovely, lovely man by the name of Alain Ronk, who was a Frenchman who was running Adidas here in South Africa. He said, listen, you give me 120,000 rands worth of advertising and I'll give you the 10,000 rand cash right now. And that's the way it was. So, and that was the last full-time job effectively that I had. I had a little fling with Grinica Sports Management, which was incredible. Clive Grinica and his group are amazing people. And that's basically that. Um, I, I haven't had a full-time job in, I, I don't know how long. I'm just not made for full-time because I've got too many irons in the fire, to be honest sure. with you. What is the lesson that you've learned from that uh, over the years? Well, that's an interesting question. I guess, I guess to a degree, there are people who are, are made for corporate okay. and who can do the corporate dance and, and who are able to toe the line. I'm not, my wife, Lily, always says, can't you just follow the rules? <laughs> and I can't. I'm not a rules guy. And that, that doesn't mean that I break the rules. I like to try and push the boundaries and see where one can go with it and, and what are the parameters. And again, I'm not talking about anything. I almost want to state this clearly. It's not an illegal thing. Mm-hmm. I, I've done very few legal things in my life, but I think it's important to understand that the boundaries are there and one should test and you should see where you can squeeze lemon out of the lemon to make lemonade, you know, if I can put it that way. So then you must find it difficult being a business owner to supersize because you don't Mm -hmm. like processes in place. That's true. That is true. And I think to a certain degree that's cost me throughout my career. I I, I fully agree with you on that. I think what has happened because I'm stuck in my ways to a certain degree, as much as I say, I like to go outside of of the processes Mm -hmm. and, and try and squeeze. That's a, that's a great observation. Because I think what happens with my type of business, because there are so many irons in the fire, that it is difficult to diversify out of it. Because you keep on, it's you've been to the circus where the guy's got seven dial sticks and he's circling the plates. And I'm running from this one and I'm running. And that often happens. But by the same token, here's a very interesting thing that happened to me. When Supersport gave me my marching orders now almost seven years ago, mm-hmm. I sat and I really had to re-quantify myself. I had to actually do the reinvention. And I then I, I buy just by hook or by crook, I realized 
I was teaching the youngsters at Supersport about broadcasting and all my knowledge of the 30 odd years that I've been. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, but why can't you do that outside of broadcasting? And a great mate of mine by the, by the name of Hermann Skatu, who I love dearly, was facilitating. I saw him do a course on diversity and I said, H, I would love to do what you do. He says, you ought to be joking. I said, no, I do. Mm-hmm. And within three months, I was facilitating for Isuzu. And wow. that was a, a four-year gig. And now I'm facilitating every second day for Heineken. And wow. it is, it's remarkable how that ended up. So I did, you're right, the observation is, is very spot on. But at the same time, it probably needs a brick wall in my case to go, oh, whoa, hang on, hang on. I, I've got to change direction here to a certain degree. But I'll never at the same time forsake my first love, which is broadcasting, you know. So where do you find inspiration to reinvent now? What gives you input and stimulus? Where do you look around? To me, Dan and I truly mean this from the heart. There is absolutely nothing as powerful in my work life. Let's separate family life. Family life is a a different scenario. There is nothing as absolutely breathtakingly, awesomely, inspiringly as having 22 people filter into the classroom that I'm handling and seeing three or four people have a river change, a watershed change in their thinking. And when they leave my room after two or three hours of spending time with me or a whole day, whatever the class may be, knowing that I've made an indelible difference in their lives, which they will take forward, and I often think that's pebble in the water stuff because if three of them walk out, they will probably touch three or four others. Mm. And that's that pebble in the water that goes bigger and bigger and bigger. Totally. And that really, that blows up my skirt big time. That is far more rewarding for me Brilliant. than speaking to a million people on a Saturday afternoon on a broadcast. Honestly, I really mean that. Wow. So uh, when you're running all of these plates that are going on and you're diving into the classroom where people can't get a hold of you, what are your must-have tech tools that help you to be more effective? What What is your go-to apps that you use? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you to say that when she's there. She's going to kick your butt. She's going to kick your butt. Does she organize so- your life? This Lily did until about two odd years ago when her business really started taking off and she couldn't do this anymore for me. So there's a wonderful man that, that, that helps us in our business, uh, called Elton Hiskef. Funny enough, his, his uh, kids are at school with ours. Um, so yeah, Elton. And then the other thing that is important, although I try not to make it that important is my cell phone. It does allow me to stay in touch. But by the same token, I cannot have the thing on when I'm facilitating for two hours. So no. it goes off. It does go off. And But I do have that connection. And then, of course, uh, you know, the normal old email is is a brilliant thing. Um, I, I still swear by it. So email is your killer app, hey? It's your killer app. To, so, to a great degree, yeah. If you think about your your work day, what would you like more of and why? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. What I'd like more of, to be honest, is more time in the classroom. Uh, okay. More time. To I love people. Uh, but, Dan, it's gonna people. Change, but it's going to change next month because you're a peacock. So what's the well, common thread that you want more of? So there's that. And funny enough, you're right, because next month, if all goes well, God willing, we're back in front of all the people at Isuzu, which for me, it will just be incredible. That, that's been tied up at the moment. But you know, 
here's an interesting thing. I think it would be really good. And I talk about being in the classroom. I'd like to spend time with people who are not necessarily bound by corporate thread. So in other, funny enough, as I walk out of gym today, I think to myself, damn, here's an idea. Why don't I put together a talk about what has made great sports men and women? And the first thing that popped into my head this morning as I was walking to the car thinking, ha, ah, point number one, you can't do it without great support. Tiger Woods had the most incredible caddy ever in Fluff Cowan when he first hit the pro scene. Mm-hmm. Then when he settled and him and Fluff had a bit of a fallout, he, he went to Stevie. And Stevie was the one who made him go to the next step. You cannot go the next step and the next step and the next step and world class unless you surround yourself with world class people already. That was one of the things I thought. Wow. So there, there's, there's, there's one. Yeah. And I think the trans that transporting into our work lives is you need a network. You know, mm-hmm. we often see the the picture of people walking on other shoulders in the corporate environment. And I think corporate gets a bad rap, but we can't be successful without other people helping us up. And, and you know, here's something I learned out of all the facilitating over the last four or five years, six years, Dan, is maybe we need to think of ourselves as mentors and mentees in the workplace so in other words i know that i can be a mentor to people i understand that i think that's why god put me on earth but i also need to understand and be clear on the fact that there are mentees that can make me a better mentor (laughs) that's an interesting thought process yeah you've got to be open i like that that's really good I've got a spiritual father by the name of Darby Spies, who is just one of the most unbelievable people, godly man. And here's an interesting story about Darby. You know, here we go with the story. But Darby, on the day that he closed his door when lockdown first happened, he's a, Darby is a lay preacher and he, he runs a group of men, uh, must be six or 7,000 men right around the country called Mana Funny Voort. And they get together on a, on a once a week basis and they have someone who comes and talks to them or someone from their group talks God for 45 odd minutes. Then they have a group discussion. They may sing one or two songs and they go on their way. And Darby closed his door on the day of lockdown and he said, and now Lord looked up and he said, what do you want me to do now? I can't do my job like this. And he said, clearly like you and I chatting to each other, God said to him, listen, my boy, (laughs) video. And Facebook is a wonderful thing. I want you to record a daily message from me to the people that you can influence. Darby has missed five days since the first day of lockdown due to COVID, funnily enough. And he's done a message every single day. That's changing the focus. And Darby speaks into my life on a a weekly basis. And I I don't know where I would have been without Darby, to be honest. Wow. That is such a testimony. Darby speaks and we can find him on Facebook, eh? Absolutely. You'll be amazed at his messages, Dan. Go and look him up. Now, in your public life, you've Mm. interviewed amazing people. You've gone to amazing places. You've done wonderful things. If you could choose to interview a past person one more time, who would it be and why? Okay. C- can I stretch it? Can I go too? Yeah, <laughs> flat out. It's your show. I, I'd love to speak with Madiba one more time, I must say. Wow. I think there were questions that I would have loved to have asked him again. 
But here's what I'd like him to do with me. If I had had another opportunity, it would have to be a three-camera shoot because I would ask if I could interview Jesus at the same time. Oh, my word. <laughs> I think there would be an incredible interview because wow. both spoke about the most incredible forgiveness. And if there's one thing that we short in the world, it's forgiveness. It's love and forgiveness. I think those are the two for me. So I would love to to sit them down next to each other in a studio and say, gentlemen, please talk to me. And the first thing I want to know is, Lord, you brought forgiveness, and this man was the personification of it on earth. Let's talk, and we go from there. So do you see from a work perspective and just a general life in Johannesburg and South Africa and the world that we're on edge, is that where it is, that we bear grudges? Where do you think the state of the nation is at the moment as a temperature gauge? Dan, it's an interesting thing. I saw someone doing a sermon earlier today on Facebook that one of uh, the, the rain guys from Marion Roberts in the club sent me, and it was a preacher man for five minutes spoke about he thinks the world is in worse shape than ever before. And then as I listened to that, again, the thought that hit me was, I wonder if that is really true. Hmm. Because you just have to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah to understand that it was so bad on earth that God said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no more. This is where this stops. So it can't be at that point yet. We are not as bad as what Sodom and Gomorrah was because God has not yet said enough, no more. So there's one thing that makes me think that maybe we are not as bad as what we once were. Maybe what we do have is that we have more media exposure of the very bad things that we see on, on the internet and on Facebook and on Twitter and everything else. So the, the very bad things that happen in the world, the, the earth shattering things that everyone goes, oh, I can't believe what I'm seeing. We're seeing more of. So the media net is wider and it, the, the exposure for the horrendous things is worse. And unfortunately, as human beings, we're attracted to you. Someone goes, terrible thing happened and you want to click on it and go, well, what happened? What yeah. is it? Yeah. And it's that. I, I think it's our curiosity killed the cat approach. Yeah. So I don't believe that we are worse off than what we've ever been before. Yeah. But I do think that we've got to take care of it better. And I, I do, I honestly mean, we've almost got to, I, I'm not saying we mustn't spread the, the bad news, but if you're going to spread the bad news, then it is also your charge to spread the good news. I, I love think that's that. Important. I think that's we also, mm, if we look at Brett Lindeke and, and um, what they do and the good news and all of that, that also needs airtime because I actually happen to think the world's in a great place. You know, I think so yeah, otherwise we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Hey, so another question, another question on to that. If you had to have dinner with two current leaders or celebrities, current, where would it be and what would you serve them? <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, yeah, this would be very nice. Uh, there is the most incredible uh, moving or turning restaurant in Sydney. And the views are remarkable. You go up there huh. and it goes round in one hour. So that's where I would serve my dinner. And believe it or not, I, I totally, I'm in love with cooking. So I do this very radical dish then, which you're welcome to have yeah. at any time. Yeah. Yellow tail and ostrich in a pie. 
Okay. Oh my word! Uh, so, no, come on, chicken and fish, but we're not on the plane. <laughs> Yellowtail and ostrich. I, I'll I'll serve that for them Stunning. with with a side dish of of a green avo salad oh, and so some fried sweet potato. There and who would it be? Who would these two amazing A-listers be? Oh man, that is that is really really hard. You know who would make a very interesting guest because I would I would absolutely ask him to turn his brain inside out about his training is Elliot Kipchoge because oh, yes. I think wow. Elliot would be an incredible person to speak with and then ooh sure uh, you know here's an interesting one Elliot would be an interesting guest and then I because I absolutely adore their music I would go with Jay something from Mikasa. Because he's an interesting man. Very he's a thoroughly, thoroughly interesting man. I think he's one of those compelling people. When he fixes you with those dark Portuguese eyes, he yeah. looks right through you. It looks like he can see what you're thinking. So he would be a fascinating dinner Awesome. Guest. Awesome. Thank you. Now, getting back to your journey and your career, you know, there's so many sports people who eke out a living. They're not A-list. But they, you know, they're earning good salaries in their sporting lives. What advice would you have to them? Because you said it earlier, one of your gigs just ends and there you are. What advice would you say to these people who are living the dream, but not living the dollar salary yet? It's interesting because I guess there's probably a little bit of self-interest there. So if you'll forgive me, but one of the first things I would say to all of them is, the first thing you need to do when you start making it onto the B plus group, let's call it that, even the C group for that matter, mm. go and get public speaking lessons. Go and find that as the first port of call because that allows you from there on then to, God forbid, if you break an arm irreparably, that you're able to knock at some broadcaster's door or some radio station's door and say, listen, I played for three provinces and I was just short of, of making it into the Proteus side, but I can speak. So is there an opportunity for me to do your sport on your radio station? If, if you're a cricketer, is there an opportunity for me to do some of the broadcasting? One or two of the other things is also learn to transfer, and that comes with public speaking, some of the knowledge that you have. But more than anything else, and there is something that I wish I had taken more care of when I was younger, and you mentioned it, is to, you just think, oh, this is going to last forever. And guess what? It, it doesn't. So you need to be clever with money. You need to go and speak to mentors who can help you with doing the right things with your money. And when you're 18, 19, 20, man, it's easy come, easy go. It's just It's in and out, and you're a conduit for your own money. But that's where the problem is. And how many youngsters have we seen who've made mega bucks, mega bucks. And five years later, it's all gone because no one has sat them down and said, listen, son, uh, you know, the, the Kiyosaki's of the world, you, you only have to read two or three of these books to understand that if you don't look after it now, it ain't going to look after you in 30 years time. And that's wow. how you really need to look at, at it. That's, that's solid, Ani. Wow. That, that is solid. Um, we're wrapping up the year. We are now coming towards the end of the year. What's your big goal that's sitting in front of you for 2023? What are you leaning into for this new, this new year? 
work-wise, um, the pressure's on, and I can tell you that. Uh, I can certainly feel it. We spoke about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I am, believe it or not, facilitating for Heineken, who have a 1,000 employees, and I've been contracted to teach on responsible use of alcohol to all 1,000 Heineken employees. We've seen 450 so far, and we have to fit them all in before the end of the year. I've got 600-odd people to see, um, and I've got probably until the end of November. So it's going like this at the moment. So that's one big work goal. Um, running-wise, I've got this goal of I'm planning to run a marathon in, in the States in January. Okay. If all goes well, my two daughters have got the gig to dance at Disney World, and oh, uh, wow. that's a big deal. So I've got the opportunity to go with them. So there's that. And then I really, really, Lily and I, and this is a very personal thing, but we want to take our marriage to the next level. We want to be better communicators with each other and we want to honor each other better. So that's something that we're working at. The guy we spoke to a while ago, yeah, this, Dan, this will blow your mind. I love this. And I think it's, I, I actually said it to someone this morning in the gym. The guy that we see every now and then said, listen, guys, I hate to tell this to you, but both of you can be a little silly at times. You can both be a little childish at times. So can I ask you to undertake that when you get into a situation that is a bit scrappy, that you take two steps back and you undertake by looking each other in the eye and going, let's adult this. <laughs> that blows my mind. I, I can't help it. That's it blows fantastic. My mind. So let's Arnie, um, as we come into the last couple of minutes here, What's the one question you wish I'd asked you? <laughs> That's mean. Yeah. Uh, can I, I, I can be egotistical, can of I? Of course. Yeah, it's your session. Mm, yeah. So the one question that, that I, I would like people to ask is often, and I think I don't think I've ever had it, um, what is the best thing about being on television? And you know, the best thing... I, yeah, yeah, I've got to say I had it there. It's written down, but you've just spoken so nicely. Arnie, let me ask you, what do you love about being on TV? There's, there are several factors, but the first thing is obviously the countdown. And let me tell you, it never gets old. I have been on television now live since 1984. So what's wow. that, 38 years. Um, on and off. Well, I say that on and off. Every week, once a week since six years ago, and then obviously with Supersport, uh, five or six times a week wow. on an ongoing basis. There, there are two or three things. The first thing is when you sit down and, and you've got your earpiece in and you've got your mic on and there's a fax check and then you're in the chair and there's like 15 minute countdown and 10 minutes and you've got your guests ready and everything else. And then they go, I need 30 seconds in your ear. And then they go 20 and 10, 10, 9, 8. And I, I got goosebumps thinking about it now. Oh. There's that because I, I, it doesn't matter how many people watch, you know you're under pressure and your mistakes are there for everyone to see. So that's one of the first things. The second thing is I always think to myself when they go zero and Arnie Q, you're on camera one, I think switch on the light behind your eyes. And that looks like this. Yeah. Okay. There's that. Okay. There's that. Because here's one of the things that people don't realize when they do this, like you and I are doing at the moment, your, your image is flattened out. Yeah. So you yeah. are very personality-less. Yeah. Now, you only have to think, if I talk to you like this, I am really looking cross. Yeah. But if I go like this, 
I really am more animated and the light behind my eyes go on. Yeah. There's one of the great parts of television. You've never seen anyone who is, who is great at interviewing and they look stern. No. There's no connection. I'm not able to go, Hey, I'm a friendly guy with light blue eyes and I really want to speak with you yeah. in your room this evening. There wow. it is. It's that. It's that, that is and gold. I, it is gold. It is yeah. gold. And I often think that people don't understand that real connection that you can make just by smiling. Sure. And my last question before, before I ask you where people can get hold of you, your favorite event to talk at, to be interviewed on oh. or to be part of. Come on, you got to give me one. And it can't be comrades. Because oh, no. we know well, you have was... such a love for comrades. <laughs> it has to be comrades, Dan. And I'll tell you why. Here again, I have to qualify it. Uh, I first was involved with it as a 16-year-old when I went to go and second someone. Wow. A year later, I ran it. And I have been involved with the race for 44 years nonstop. Either as a runner, on radio, on television. And let me tell you that television broadcast is, can I use the term? It's a ball breaker. Really? You have to get, you know, you get to the studio at four. In the old days, we were on air at six. And (laughs) probably not for broadcast, but what they, when I was, when I was anchoring at the the broadcast center, the studio was at Alveston, which if you go on, uh, you know exactly where it is. I know exactly where it is. That large tower on the right-hand side on the down run, it's there. We were three stories up. There was no time to go for a pee. They <laughs> opened the doors from the third story, and I'd have a microphone on and the on, and I'd pee out three stories up because there's no time to go downstairs. Oh, that's it, fabulous. It was, it was, it's the hardest broadcast in the world because it's 13 hours of non-stop in those days, which, which I anchored five times. It was mind-blowing. So I've done that. I've announced at the race. I've written about it. I have seen the comrades upside, downside, inside, out, top view. And it is, it is the world's most magical event, Barnum. Barnum. So I just wanted to ask you a closing question and, and um, then we can, we can wrap up. Arnie, I, I, comrades is there. It's just part of who you are. Part of our family as well. I've never done any like you have, but um, I've been in the crowds and you even shouted at me this year, which I really appreciate <laughs> my moment of fame. And um, if you had to go offshore, uh, what is your other event that you, you enjoyed uh, being part of? The Olympics, uh, Dan, wow. really is, is something really That's special. That's just ratcheted um, it up quite a bit. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll finish off with a story. This will bring tears to my eyes, so forgive me, but I don't mind sharing tears on, on, on a public forum. It doesn't worry me anymore at all. 92 Olympic Games, and uh, we have never thought that we'd get there. You must understand that I've been broadcasting since 84, and it was sports isolation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we finally get there horribly unprepared, just like the athletes were. We were thrown into the deep end. SABC, there we are with like 15 crew. BBC has got 150. CBS have got 300 people at the broadcast center in Barcelona. And really, it was overwhelming, to say the very least. At the same time, I thought, hey, I can do this. You know, you you think to yourself, I'm here because I was asked because they trust me to do the job. But here's the amazing part of the story. So Martin Locke and I are anchoring in the studio in Barcelona Trevor Quirk and Heinrich Marins are at the stadium uh, on the top of the mountain in Montjuic. 
and they, 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 it was a mind-blowing opening ceremony. They, they shot up, if I remember correctly, $25 million worth of fireworks. It was just mind-blowing. And there we sit, and now, so Marty and I luckily are off air. Now, you must understand, I grew up watching Martin Locke, and here I am broadcasting with this icon that I learned from. So, and there we sit, and luckily, Trevor and Heinrich were on air doing the commentary, and we we thought South Africa would come out right at the end. But lo and behold, of course, French being one of the Olympic languages, third country out, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Afrique du Sud. And there's the green and gold. And Martin looked at me and I looked at Martin. And we were we held each other's hand under the desk and cried together. That's, here I go again. It was mind-blowing. It was wow. one of those moments where you go, I can't believe it's happening. Wow. That, that was, oh, it was stunning. And here I was thinking Boston Marathon or I was thinking no, like no. New York. Wow, man. That's so, you, know, you know why it's so big, Dan? You, 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 there's, to get into an Olympic team, you have to be the best of the best of the best. Yeah. Only the 10,000 best athletes on the planet um, get to go. It is, you see, people don't understand that actually about South Africans. Just to make it into a final at the Olympic Games means you are the elite of the elite. We thought of ourselves like that broadcast-wise. We thought, listen, Boyke, if you hear Man, you belong here. Wow. So rip it. Have an absolute go. It is the best. From a sporting point of view, there's nothing like it. The Olympic Games is mind-blowing. So there's my little story about that too. Sure. There's a, a moment to pause there, and it's almost a, I take that to the corporate level. You know, the, the fact that our unemployment is so high, if you're sitting with the job, you are the best of the best and we have the obligation then to do well. And, and to, to treasure it, almost to nurture your job, yeah. uh, to be honest. Funny enough, it's so interesting you said that. The class I did for Heineken yesterday, I said exactly that. I said precisely. You, you folks, uh, out of the blue, this is not part of, of uh, the teaching, but out of the blue, I did say to them, folks, if you are here, you've got to really nurture what you've got here because there are literally hundreds of there's millions of people out there who don't know where the next slice of bread is coming from and i I, i've been there and i don't wish that upon anyone if you have a job nurture it whatever the case may be if you've got a manager who's on your case all the time try and sort it out if there's something that you can do better do it better become just more than what you are at the moment it will get better Sure. And show gratitude. Well, I'm, I'm going to show gratitude, Ani. I want to thank you for your time and sharing. Uh, we've spoken about you and your clients. We've spoken about you and your career. And I can see one of your clients on your chest there, Marion Roberts and Hoka. Um, un, uh, unsolicited picture. I love the Hoka shoes. I don't oh boy. I'm so glad you with, do. I don't work much with Marion Roberts because I don't like <laughs> going in construction. I'm more of a, soft-handed person but i'm glad they're looking after you and what you guys are doing for road running is is really quite exceptional thank you so um from our side here at uh, um, rocket oni i want to thank you for giving us your afternoon in the middle of a heat wave go forth and swim or something (laughs) whatever you want to do and uh thank you have a great rush to the end of the year and we'll hope to catch up soon 
I look forward to the next time, Dan, and I'm so glad that we finally did it. If I may, I'm going to leave you with something I saw from Simon Sinek just yesterday. And I think it's, it stirred me. It said, don't show up to prove, show up to improve. And if you can go with that thought, I think that may be one of the best ones, which underlines exactly what we've been saying. Thank you. Thanks, Sonny. Bye now. God bless.